Hello and welcome to the SLP Happy Hour podcast. Up today, it's a solo episode with me, Sarah, and I'll be sharing about a job update and a self-care challenge. So let's get to it. Helpful, compassionate, and actionable. The SLP Happy Hour podcast will help you find more time and ease in your busy SLP life. I'm Sarah, and I work in private practice. I'm Sari. I work in the school setting. Being an SLP isn't about hustle, overwork, and overwhelm, but about finding calm, boundaries, and taking more time to take care of yourself when life gets rough. Using research-based happiness habits and what's really worked for us, we share ideas so that you can find out what works for you in order to find more calm, creativity, and happiness. So let's slow down, take our time, and practice leaving things undone. So let's move forward with less hustle and more slowness, gentleness, and heart. It's time for an SLP happy hour. Up first, a bit of a job update and a job transition story. I'm hoping it will help some of you who are considering making a change now or in the future, or maybe you'll be able to relate to a bit of this story. My work for the past many years has been half in my own clinic here in Oregon and half in a school district. The school district job was through a contract company that I've really enjoyed working with, and the job is mostly telepractice with some visits for the school site. I've been lucky to enjoy the students and staff, and overall, it's been a really positive experience. Now, if you've worked in the schools this year, like I have, or really any setting as an SLP or an SLPA, uh, you probably know why this year has been a challenge for me. There have been high caseload numbers. For me, there have been more younger students and more students with needs that means they need individualized sessions, plus some cohort rules about when kids are in school in person, which classes I can and can't combine. So again, there just weren't enough overall hours. There weren't enough alternate placements. And the students on my caseload this year have had higher needs than in the past, but I didn't really have any more support. In fact, I had less. How did it feel? You know, I felt ineffective. I felt like no matter how many extra hours I worked, there wasn't enough time to see the students. Administrative tasks and meetings and assessments and paperwork really seemed like they were taking up all my time. And on top of that, dealing with parent complaints, I felt more and more like I was running on a hamster wheel and working myself to exhaustion without actually accomplishing anything. The job felt impossible and thankless. I was using a lot of energy to do everything I could to make the situation work. But using that amount of energy, and again feeling like it was an impossible situation, started to impact my stress level. I felt more anxious this year than is typical. I felt overwhelmed most mornings before I'd go into work, and my Sunday night anxiety was really horrible. In addition, I'd have racing thoughts at night and trouble sleeping. I'd wake up between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., and often I couldn't get back to sleep. I was chronically stressed, chronically tired, and chronically anxious. 
My husband also noticed I was exhausted when I came home from work. And I acted a bit like what I call the SLP zombie. It's something that happens to me sometimes when I'm overtaxed. I have trouble listening to others, processing information when I get home. And it's just like I've gone past my full capacity by the evening time. And for the record, during this time, I was going to therapy. I was, I had boundaries at work whenever I could. I was doing self-care and doing everything I could to take care of myself. But there comes a time in which you just can't do the impossible. And some job situations are just not set up for your success. Self-care isn't the answer in those cases. And sometimes, usually, changing the job is. I did have multiple meetings where I clearly outlined the help I needed from the district, and I was told that, unfortunately, the resources just weren't available. When that answer was a clear no in my request for help, it made my decision to leave easier. But the decision itself wasn't easy. I spent months going back and forth, ruminating, overthinking, and it was a hard decision. But ultimately, I decided I want to go full-time in my own clinic and no longer work in the schools. It was a difficult decision because there are some real benefits of working for the school system. I worked as a contractor, so that meant I didn't get any retirement or benefits really from the district. But there were still some great things about working for the schools. I loved that I got paid even if students didn't show up, and I could use that as paperwork time. In private practice, in my own clinic, if a client doesn't show up, I usually don't get paid. Another thing I like about the schools is I get to work with other people who really value working with kids and working in the public education system. Working in my own private practice is a bit more isolating, and it's harder to bounce ideas off others. Another benefit to working in schools is everyone who meets a certain criteria becomes eligible. No one is turned away because they can't pay. In private practice, if you're accepting private insurance like I am, you end up working with more affluent families who can pay. Again, there are things you can do to reduce cost. For example, I run some group sessions, but it does take some income to get private speech therapy. If you're considering starting your own clinic, I do want to say this. My clinic made it through a pandemic, so I do consider it steady work. I don't think I need to continue to do another job to feel like I have security. But that being said, it took a long time to get to this point. My clinic is, I think, about four years old, but I lose track. And it took time for word of mouth to spread, even though there's a very serious need for SLPs in my area. So I've decided not to return. My coworkers at the school site know it. I shared this news with my contract company, and it really felt like I had a weight lifted off my shoulders, and I felt really confident in making this decision moving forward, mostly because of really how much I've struggled this year. So if you're thinking about the story, and maybe you can relate to some of it, here's some questions I'd encourage you to ask yourself. Number one, am I happy? Do I feel, at least most of the time, hopeful and like this job is possible? 
really listen to your own intuition because if you start to feel depleted, like no matter how much self-care you do, you can't get your energy back and like it's impossible to do the basics of your job because there are so many demands, that's likely a sign of burnout. So listen to it. Question number two, what would make this better and have I asked for it? Listen to the answer, but also make sure that answer is backed up by action. Number three, what do I need from a job and do I have other work options? Does making a change feel like freedom? It'll still feel scary no matter what most times, but does it feel like freedom or does it feel like the learning curve to switch jobs is so high that I would actually be happier if I stayed put? Question number four, am I in burnout? Here are the three major signs of burnout. And you'll recognize quite a few of them from the story I told about my experience at the start of the podcast. Number one, emotional exhaustion. Feelings of being emotionally overextended and exhausted by work. Number two, depersonalization. An unfeeling and impersonal response towards the recipients of one's instruction. So in other words, feeling like mm, you're just not feeling like you're giving value to your clients, even though you're working hard or like you're making a change. Number three, and you know, this one does go with number two and they become murky. They're not totally separate, but personal accomplishment is number three, feelings of competence and successful achievement in one's work. Again, I felt like I wasn't having much personal accomplishment or professional accomplishment. I felt like the therapy I was able to give wasn't making a difference, depersonalization, and I definitely felt that emotional exhaustion. Also remember, burnout isn't really up to you. It's up to where you work. So I'm going to talk about that more. And it's also not something that you only encounter once and then you get over it. So it's something that we need to listen to and we may encounter, especially in a caring profession, multiple times over our career. So again, burnout is not caused by not having enough self-care and it's not cured by self-care. I'll link to an article from The Atlantic called Only Your Boss Can Cure Your Burnout or you can Google it. But the bottom line is this. You can't take care of yourself with self-care and then jump back onto that hamster wheel of impossible workload and still not being able to get things done and feeling like work is a thankless task. Self-care is not enough. So a last question I'd like you to ask yourself is, does your workplace have several or many of the factors that contribute to burnout? There are six factors that contribute to burnout. They were created by the same maker of the Maslach Burnout Inventory. So I'd like you to look that up if you can. I'll mention that again at the end of the show if you can't write it down just now. So here are the six factors, workplace factors that contribute to burnout. Workload, do you have too much to do? Second, how much control do you have over your work? In other words, is there a lot of bureaucracy, micromanaging, or even ignoring of your boss? legal requirements that force you to work beyond your capacity? Third, are you getting recognition and reward for your work? Or like in my example, is the feedback you're getting negative or non-existent, no matter how much effort you put in? Fourth, do you have a supportive work environment in both words and actions that support and help? Fifth, are you treated fairly or does your boss play favorites? Sixth, 
Does the job provide meaning and value to you, or has it stopped feeling meaningful and valuable? So those are a few things to consider when you're wondering if your workplace has factors that lead to burnout so that you can make some decisions moving forward. So there's my story plus a review of burnout. If you want more, check out episode 39 of this podcast, Why Burnout is Not Your Fault, and episode 47 on millennial burnout. I hope that by sharing my personal story, uh, you can relate if you are in similar circumstances, because often we don't know we're in burnout until we're over it. Because when we're in burnout, it's like we have this very narrow field of vision and we're just trying to get through. If you have any questions about burnout or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at slphappier at gmail.com. So before you go, here's your self-care challenge. Take some time to sit down and list the answer to the questions posed in this episode about your work setting, or maybe just by listening, you kind of know what you need to know about your own workplace. But let's take some time to sit down, write with pen to paper, pencil to paper, uh, the answers to these questions. And again, I want to recap those six workplace factors that lead to burnout. So again, these aren't personal factors like how stressed are you or how much self-care do you have? Workplace factors lead to burnout. Burnout is a workplace issue. So here are the six factors of workplaces that lead to burnout. Number one, workload. Two, control over work. Three, recognition and reward. Four, a supportive and helpful work environment. Five, you're treated fairly. Six, the job is and feels meaningful and valuable to you. Also, as a bonus self-care challenge, search online for the Maslach Burnout Inventory. It's in lots of places for free. And take it yourself to see if you are at risk for burnout. This episode is sponsored by the Apraxia Vowel Bundle in our Teachers Pay Teachers store. To find it, you can go to teacherspayteachers.com and look for the SLP Happy Hour store or follow the link in the show notes on our website or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Are you an SLP that's working with a student with childhood apraxia of speech? Often in grad school, we learn a lot about cues for consonants, but not many for vowels. So if you're looking for some support with that, or if you feel like, "Mm, I know how to teach vowels, but I would love something that's just screen share and go or print and go that I can send home with my families and use in my sessions, our Apraxia Vowel Bundle is probably for you. So again, check out the link in the show notes and thank you for supporting the podcast. This episode is recorded right here in my clinic office. I have a cup of green tea by my side. My first client comes in soon and uh, the weather report is sunny and quite cold, I would guess in the 30-ish degrees. This episode is recorded on the land of the Tacoma and Cow Creek Umpqua tribes. If you're getting benefit from the podcast and you'd like to support us, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts or visit our website, slphappyhour.com. That's today's show. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording it and sharing the story. I hope this episode was helpful for you and that this has been a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.